0: Let's continue on our uh, Five Guides series. Open up your Bibles to First John chapter three. First John chapter three, and this morning we're going to be talking about love. Uh, John was the apostle of love. If you've read First John, Second John, third John, you understand that that is his absolute favorite word. He uses it a lot, and we're going to use it a lot this morning. Uh, if you've uh, been around any number of minutes in your life, uh, you recognize that music uh, influences us greatly. Music is one of those driving factors that helps shape our memory. So uh, if you have a song that comes on the radio, you're probably a 94.5 and a temptation song comes on, it takes you back to your enchantment under the sea dance from Back to the Future and you're connected, right? Or maybe if you're from my generation, a Blink-182 song comes on and you're like, oh, that reminds me of junior year, right? Music does that. And one of the things that music talks about more than anything is love, right? Right? The Beatles, all you need is love. See what I'm talking about? You're connected, okay? All right? If you're a, uh, if you're a 13 going on 30 kind of gal or guy, um, love is a battlefield, right? And girls, this is your anthem. You're connected. You're in war, right? Love, right? If you like the bodyguard. and uh... All right, I want to go. But Whitney, Whitney takes us there, and it's like a peak, and you're like, bring it to me, Whitney, all right? Or if you're a Tina Turner kind of gal, what's love got to do with it? So if you were to join that journey with me, and you go from all you need is love, which is a good thing, to what's love got to do with it, you're like, wow, our society is terrible. Think about it for a second. What's love got to do with it? And I'm going to tell you this morning that if we look at God's word, love has everything to do with it. John was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. He was on the inner three. He got to see everything. He was one of the earliest disciples called him and his brother James. They were called the sons of thunder, probably because they were proud and loud mouthed. These are things that you're going to see in John's life. John's mom was a little pushy. So if you're a pushy mom, settle down because Jesus will rebuke you. In Matthew twenty twenty, James and John's mom tries to inch in and say, you know, Jesus, when you're in your kingdom, why don't you put my one boy on the right and my one boy on the left? Settle down, ladies. God will work it out. John was one of the people who was at the transfiguration. Saw this incredible moment happen. Saw this picture of Jesus where he went white. And, and these prophets joined him and they were like, hold on, stay here. Let's not tell the other guys this is ours. Let's hang on to this thing. John was one of the guys who told the little children to go away. Jesus rebuked them and said, let the little children come unto me. John was one of the ones who had to learn how to be a servant. John had to understand that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. John was acquainted with the words of Jesus. John was was the disciple who was next to Jesus at the Last Supper. He was there in that intimate moment and heard all that Jesus said. John was the only disciple to go to the crucifixion. Three years, John walked with him. Three years, John experienced all the things that Jesus had to say. Three years, John was encapsulated by what Jesus was doing, and he went to the crucifixion, and he stood there, and Jesus said, son, this is your mother. Mother, this is your son. It was the man Jesus trusted with his own mom. That's a transformation far from being a pushy, prideful, wannabe first kind of guy to the thing Jesus gives you is to take care of his mom. John is one of those disciples um, who writes a large portion of the New Testament. John doesn't write until the end of his life, probably till right around somewhere 80, 90 to 80, 100. John was the only apostle not to be martyred. He was exiled onto the island of Patmos where he was left to die. But John writes all of his books some 60 years after Jesus died and he writes from a position where he's soaked in all that God has done he sat back and he's listened to who Jesus was in his life that he was the Messiah that he died and rose again and then he ascended into heaven and said I'm coming back. John was the one who got to experience revelation. Nobody else did and he saw firsthand what God wanted us to know about heaven. John writes from a position of saying you got to know Jesus. John's life was transformed because he spent time with Christ. In 1 John chapter 3, what you see there in verse 11 is this, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. This isn't just the message he's drawing back to what Jesus said. He's drawing back to what the law said. Deuteronomy 6 is the Shema, that you should love the Lord your God with everything. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 9 says that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Love is key to the people of God. It has to be. Apart from love, we don't know God. Apart from living love, we don't live like God has called us to live. We see what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, the greatest commandment, and he reiterates it. He takes the 10 and puts it in two. The first four, love God. The next six, love each other. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul in Romans chapter 12 we're going to get there in a couple of months as we continue in our Roman study. But Paul takes us through what the true marks of a believer are, and he starts with love. John uh, writes about what Jesus said in the Upper Room Discourse in John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, but this is all by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is an interesting dialogue that John starts in, in chapter 3. You've heard this from the beginning, that you were to love one another, and then he immediately goes to a murder passage. He immediately goes to the opposite of love, which is hate. He immediately goes to the very first picture of hate that we see in the Bible— in Genesis chapter 4, we know that they're kicked out of the garden. Adam and Eve are out figuring it out. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel is the one who takes care of the flocks, and Cain is the one who takes care of the ground. And Adam, probably like a good father, trained his sons that they should come and bring an offering before God. Abel brings the sheep, and it is, it is accepted by God, but Cain brings this offering from the ground, and God doesn't accept it. And he says, Cain, why are you so upset? It says, sin is crouching at your door, and it will overtake you unless you take control of it. It's interesting that John goes from, you've heard from the beginning love to hatred. And I think he does that because he understands the human condition. He understands the human heart, and he's going to go on in this chapter, and we'll read it in just a second. But to give you what it looks like for the world to hate you, and it's because they hated me first. But I think there's a bigger picture in here. That John wants to deal with within the church at this time is that they would love each other and not hate each other So if you're in your Bible, let's look at first John chapter 3 starting in verse 11 For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning That we should love one another We should not be like Cain who was the evil one and murdered his brother And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray and ask God to teach us this morning. God, we thank you for the Apostle John. God, I I am thankful for his time close to your son Jesus. God, that he would write these things, that we would be able to understand how we're to love. God, that we might be able to deal with our own hearts and the hatred that we have hidden deep within us. God, I pray that we would be receptive to the work of the Holy Spirit this morning, that we would be, God, open when we're convicted, that we would respond when you speak to us. God, we love you and we thank you for this moment. It's in Jesus' name, amen. John's walking this truth through for a group of people who are much like us and that they're selfish, that they're forgetful, that they're wandering, that they're difficult, that they have issues. Imagine what that story would have been like in Genesis chapter four if Cain had obeyed God. Imagine what that moment would have been like if he had gone and he had confessed his sin and said, God, I have bitterness towards my brother. I don't know why you accepted his, but God, my heart isn't right. Imagine if Cain had gone to Abel and said, hey man, listen, I'm sorry. I'm struggling right now and i I have hard issues towards you. Will you forgive me? Will you help me understand how you came to God and what your heart was like? Imagine if we didn't have this murder on our scenes four chapters in to the Bible, but we do. And I think what John wants us to understand as he brings out this picture is that in us, is not just murder of our hands, but murder of the heart. It says, whoever hates his brother is like a murderer. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I tell you, whoever hates in his heart has murdered. Yet yeah, that's an acceptable sin in our eyes. That's something that we wrestle with on a day-in and day-out basis. If we're supposed to be people of love, if we're supposed to be a picture of love that gives an image to the world of what God's people look like, sure, we may have a front that has it together, but if the world saw our heart, they would cry at what they've seen. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, from the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks, the actions happen. From the overflow of Cain's heart came murder. In 1 Samuel, God says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. You may have it all together. You may have the perfect picture of being in relationship with people, and it's always good. But there's that brother-in-law who comes to Christmas every year, and he irritates the snot out of you. You know what I'm talking about? I like my brother-in-law, so that's all good. He comes, and he tells the worst jokes, and you have to clean it up with your kids, but you put on that face that says, I'm gonna make it okay because it's Christmas for goodness sake. I don't want this to happen here. We don't need to have these moments here. You have that conversation with your wife and you say, does your brother have to come again? Can't we just go to Hawaii this year so I don't have to see him? Although, good idea. Why is that in us? Because we're sinful, fallen, hating people. We're bitter, unwilling to forgive people, yet we have been forgiven. We're the type of people who carry it for a long time. We're the type of people who hold on to it. We're like Cain, and yet if we had the moment, we're not going to use our hands, but we're going to spit fire. If it comes out, it's coming out. Have you ever had those moments where you have the conversation with somebody, but they're not there? Yeah. You're sitting there. And that bitterness strikes its ugly head and you begin to have the conversation about what you're going to say when it's time to say it. And you're good. Oh, man, you could put OJ in jail. You're good. You got it. You are wired and you're going to light them up. You're going to take them down. Every single word is planned out. But then the never that moment doesn't happen and you have to wrestle with the anger and the bitterness and the frustration that you feel in your heart towards other people. You're never going to murder with your hands, but you do it with your eyes, with your inside, with the very thing that Jesus came to change, your heart. That's who we are. I love the show hoarders. Anybody like the show hoarders? I'm into this because it's like a train wreck. You just can't look away. These people are chocked full of stuff. Their house is loaded from ceiling, ceiling to floor. And they have all of this stuff. And every single thing in there has a memory. All of it means something to them. And the minute you start to go and grab it to try and help them because you need to free them from the bondage of their home, they can't get rid of it because it means something. It gives them power. It gives them control. This is mine. That old Chrysler bumper, if we get rid of it, we'll never forget to fix the Chrysler we don't have. And yet, we're bitterness hoarders exactly the same way. In your heart, from 1986, you have frustration with the thing your son said to you that you can never forget. 1992, you have the frustration towards your husband because he didn't say thank you for that TV dinner you made him. 2004, your coworker told you that you were worthless and incompetent. And every time you see her face, it strikes rage. You're frustrated from when you were 16 years old and your parents disciplined you because they loved you and they took something away that you held as an idol and you can't let it go. In each and every one of our hearts, apart from forgiveness, apart from the word of God, sorting out the details, we wrestle like bitterness hoarders. And we have file after file after file that commits us as a murderer. John says, whoever hates is a murderer. And if they are a murderer, they don't deserve eternal life. In that moment of hate and bitterness and frustration, that's what rises out of you. That's what comes out of you. Imagine if we have the opportunity to deal with it and how freeing our life would be. When we come and we love like Jesus said to love, we know love by this, that we're to love one another. Verse 16, we know love by this, that we would lay down our lives for another. Jesus says in John 15, no man has greater love than someone lay down his life for another. And I believe that when we look at our life and we are going to love someone, at the center of love is death. At the center of love is death, and it has to be. The moment you say, I do, you have to die to yourself. As you believe that when you get married, your wife's never going to change, and oh, she will, and she has, but you have to die to yourself that you would love the woman God's making her. Girls, you marry that man thinking he will change, or you're going to change him, And you have to die to yourself to love him and the man that God's making him. Ups and downs. That little baby comes into your life and you're going to have to die to your selfishness to get up at 2 a.m. and 2.15 and (laughs) 2.45 and 3 to love that child. You're going to have to die to yourself when that kid turns 16. You're going to have to die to yourself when you're taking care of your parents and they can't take care of themselves. At the center of love, when we love the way God's called us to, because of what Jesus says, we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our sin. We have to die to the selfish desires that raise their heads and make us haters of those that we're called to love. If we're going to do it the way God called us to do it, then we have to be selfless and put those things aside and deal with them. We have to do the hard work up front. I love laundry. This is a confession. It is the greatest of all chores, and let me tell you why. There is no other chore that you can sit and do while you watch TV. (laughs) It's perfect. But what I've learned in my life as a launderer, not money but clothes, (laughs) is that there's a lot of work that goes into the front end right? There's the sorting, but who cares? They got detergent for that. You have to clean out the pockets, because the minute you leave chapstick in, or receipt, or Kleenex, you're hosed. It's over, and it's not when it's the washing machine. The washing machine's fine. It just gets wet and stays there. It's the dryer that will kill you, because in the minute that goes in the dryer, it's everywhere, It's everywhere, and for weeks it's coming out of the lint trap, and you're like, I thought I dealt with this, but you didn't. Your heart's the same way. If you don't do the hard work of pulling all of that stuff out and confessing it and repenting of it and giving it to Jesus and saying, Lord, I can't do this on my own, the mess is going to happen, and it's going to be ugly. It's going to come out in the conversation and the frustration, and you're going to blow it. You're going to have to go and do more cleanup than you would if you had left it at the foot of the cross instead of carrying it with you like it's your badge of honor. Whoever hates does not abide. we got to be fighters, people. We can't carry this anymore because it is heavy and it is harmful. And you wake up at night thinking about it, You think about it during the day when it's too quiet. Instead of giving it to Jesus and confessing it and being people who lay down your life for another, lay down your selfishness for somebody else and repent of your sin. This is the Bible calling us out to deal with our murderous and hateful heart. This is the Bible calling us out to repent and deal with our sin that we would be people who deal with our issues up front, that we would be people who are truth and love people, that we would know how to speak to others in grace and to come alongside of them to say, I am sorry for what I did. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry for the thoughts that I had towards you. Will you forgive me? How much freeing would our relationships be if we were confessors? Here's what I know. John didn't start out as the apostle of love. He had ups and downs. He had issues and bumps along the road. But what you see at the end of his life is that proximity to Jesus changes the way that we love. John wouldn't be the man that he is. John wouldn't write the things that he writes if we didn't love, if he didn't spend time with Jesus proximity to Jesus changes the way that we love. And here's what I know. Some of you haven't been with Jesus. Some of you have been far from him. You show up here every Sunday, but you're not in his word. You're not pursuing him. You're not saying, God, change me because I don't like the man that I am. God, I know that I'm saved and I know that you've changed my heart, but God, I keep going back to these things. Why do I hold on and harbor these things towards people instead of letting them go? I don't feel free. God, make me free. But we don't go to his word. We don't go to prayer and asking him to wrestle with those. We just hope that we get by and we stuff it down deep enough, it never comes out. Proximity to Jesus changes you, it brings freedom. The gospel frees us from having to carry all this on our own. Jesus died on the cross that you would be free. Jesus died on the cross that you would have new life, that you'd have a new heart, that you could fight against sin, that you could present yourself towards God, acceptable, not based on what you have done, but because you are covered in the grace of God. Amen? That's freedom. Here's some questions you can be asking yourself as you think about love. Is love in you? Is that the way you respond? Are you selfless? Do you care more about yourself than you do others? Is your personal bias what determines all of your decisions? And that's four. That's four questions you can be asking yourself, and there's some really good inventory that I pray that comes out of that as you think about yourself and the way that you love, as you think about yourself and the way that those things come out of you. Maybe you're here and you're going, okay, Justin, I I do have a heart that struggles with hate. I do have a heart that struggles with bitterness and unforgiveness. I have these things in my life. What do I do? Well, here's five things you can start doing that will change that in you. Number one, you wanna fight a heart that hates. You should pray for people. I guarantee if you start praying for other people's needs, your heart is going to be free of your own needs. Pray for people. 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Here's the second thing to fight a heart that hates. Be friendly. (laughs) Novel. Be friendly. Stop being unapproachable and mean. Smile. It's okay. makes people like go, oh, that's a nice person, you know, Just stop it. Stop with the mean face. Change it, okay? My daughter in the car told me yesterday, I don't think it was towards me. I'm praying it wasn't towards me. She said, Dad, you know it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. I was like, well, I'm just exercising. (laughs) Just kidding. Here's a third thing to do to fight a heart that hates. Give affirmation to people. Be encouraging and loving to people. Here's what you can do. Stop belittling and demeaning them, either with your words or your heart. Be an encourager. If you walked around thinking about all the nice things you could say about people, you'd be less frustrated. You'd be less stressed. You'd be less like all out of sorts. Be an encourager. Hebrews 10:24, you can write that down with that. Here's a fourth thing: listen. Stop talking and hear what those around you are saying and grow in compassion. What you tend to see in people who deal with unforgiveness or bitterness or hatred in their heart is they talk too much. They feel like if they talk, they can control the situation and then it will turn out the way that they want it to turn out. Just stop. Be a listener. Hear what those around you are saying that you might be able to walk alongside of them. Here's the fifth thing. Acceptance. Be welcoming to people. Don't try to change them. They need you to love them for who they are, not who you think they should be. James chapter 2, verse 1. If the church would deal with the issues of our heart, imagine what we could do as we loved one another, as we were to build one another up. I'm not even just talking about the issues within this own room, I'm talking about the issues within your own house. Right, Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that person who lives two doors down from you in the hallway next to the bathroom, that's your neighbor too. We know love by this, that we would lay down our lives for someone else. Today, we need to lay down our selfishness. Today, we need to lay down our pride. Today, we need to lay down our bitterness and all of those things we've been holding against people for all these years and confess it as sin and repent and turn to Jesus. From the time I was a junior in high school, when God found me and saved me, I've been hearing three things that will change the way that you think about growth in your life. Number one, you wanna grow, you wanna deal with your heart, you wanna deal with all these things, you're gonna be in the word of God. You're gonna soak it in. And you're not gonna go to the word of God to see what you can get out of it, you're gonna go to the word of God to be with your God. Think about how that changes that relationship, the word of God. Number two, the spirit of God, and you're gonna listen. When conviction comes, you're going to repent. When conviction comes, you're going to change and you're going to turn. You're going to hear those people that God wants you to minister to and care for. You're going to be receptive because you've been in the word and your ears are ready to hear what God has for you. And then thirdly, you're going to be with the people of God. You're going to be around people who are going to call you out on your sin. You're going to be with people who are going to hold you accountable with people who are gonna encourage you and love you and be a part of your life and point you in the right direction and say, have you been in the word? Are you listening to the spirit? How's your heart? You wanna grow? You put those three things into practice and I guarantee you're gonna have a less hating heart, a less bitter heart, a less frustrated heart. We're gonna go to a time of communion now. I wanna read something to you. So why don't you... uh, Just bow your head and and just listen for a second. This is a poem that we've been using in student ministries as long as I can remember. It's called Dying to Self. So just take a second and listen. When you are forgotten and neglected or purposely thwarted and you don't sting or hurt to the insult or the oversight, but your heart is happy being counted worthy to suffer for Christ, that is dying to self. When your good is spoken evil of, When your wishes are crossed, your advice disregarded, your opinions ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, but take it all in patiently in loving silence that is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder and irregularity and impunctuality or any annoyance, when you can stand face to face with waste, folly, extravagance, spiritual insensibility, and endure it as Jesus endured it that is dying to self. When you are content with any food, any offering, any clothing, any climate, any solitude, any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or to record your own good works or to itch after commendation, when you can truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you can see your brother prosper and have his needs met and honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy nor question God while your own needs are far greater and in desperate circumstances, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising up within your heart, that is dying to self. God, would you make us people right now who die to self, die to our selfishness, die to our frustrations, die to our bitterness and our anger and our hatred. God, would you let us be the type of people who love like Jesus loved. Let us love beyond our capacity. God, I thank you that we can hear from you. And if there is a moment in here, God, for repentance, God, I pray that it would happen. God, I pray that your conviction comes and as we celebrate communion, this would be a moment for us to reflect. This would be a moment for us to think about, God, how we live and the things we harbor against others. God, would you help us to be a confessing people? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.